extended clip episode 16 i'm one of your hosts eddie averill i'm malcolm Baum. happy sweet 16 to extended clip barely legal <laughs> <laughs> in some states <laughs> look you know what's like yeah. that in most countries uh, <laughs> uh, that's one of my favorite online guys uh, oh i'm uh, jt white yeah JT White is the online guy who says, <laughs> you know, it's, actually, it's actually 16 in most countries, <laughs> like most of the developed world. Hey, it was like that for a while, and I just, uh, like, True. things change, and <laughs> we all can learn, and we all can grow. Yeah, we've, yeah, we, I, <laughs> yeah. no, uh, never, mind. never mind, yeah. yeah, never mind. Today's films are Ed Wood and local legends. Ed Wood, the Tim Burton biopic of the great Edward D. Wood Jr. from 1994, and Local Legends, the the self-reflexive autobiographical film by Matt Farley, uh, underground genre film legend, backyard film icon, uh, who we'll get into a little bit of his background, I think, before we talk about that film. But this is a double feature about auteurs that may be considered to make, uh, you know, less than respectable movies. You know, they mm-hmm. make the second half of our double features, generally, often the more fun half of our double features. Uh, and these are movies about people who are so passionate about their work uh, that it just bleeds through in everything that they do and all that they can do is create. And so, yeah, I thought these two, and they're both in black and white, East coast versus West coast, lots of little similarities you can pick up on it, you know? Yeah. I personally think the strongest connecting thread is it's just about fellows that get it. They know like movies are cool as shit, having a good time, just all about love and cinema this week. It really brought me up both of these flicks. Yeah, and people people who are do tend uh, people who tend to n- want to entertain more than to be perceived as artistically rich or yeah. something like that, which I I res- that's way more respectable than like wanting to be like an an artist, like a painter or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because I mean, I hate to get you know like faux uh, lofty about it, but like the real heads know that like the craft of genre work. You know, making you fucking have fun watching a genre movie is art as artistic as anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, both of these guys pull that off amazingly. They have limited resources, and they're doing things that a lot of people would say are traditionally bad. Uh, but I think if you're looking at all of the stylistic choices uh, by each of these authors, it's just each of these artists. It's so clear that like their whole artistic project is evident in every stroke that they make, you know, and uh, Tim Burton making a big tribute to Ed Wood is lovely. It shows, you know, his love for the down and dirty, the real cinema uh, the B movies that a lot of people would trash mm-hmm. and local legends is Farley just, uh, you know, making his self myth making, uh, even greater, but also, you know, keeping it real. There's a good amount of auto critique and, uh, you know, keeps it real. He knows not to make mm-hmm. himself out to be a God. Yeah. Uh, just, I mean, since Farley was playing himself, so maybe this affects it a little bit, but I feel like the and he also directed it, but the depiction of Farley is a little bit more favorable than maybe the depiction of Ed Wood. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, we'll get to it. Yeah. But yeah like, yeah. uh, it's the little things that are like, Oh, he can't be taking that, that seriously. Yeah, you know, yeah. he's clearly making himself out to be kind of a goofball in social situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, goofball speaking lightly, <laughs> <laughs> but Ed Wood's the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, 
JT, I had saw you had already seen Ed Wood. I had never seen this movie. Uh, was this like kind of an old fave for you, or, or something close to that? Um, I feel like when I was young, like a young cinephile rising up through the ranks, I feel like very common. It's like a position to take of like Tim Burton sucks. Because, uh, like, by and large, I think, like, he has had a lot of missteps. But then, like, I don't know, also a lot of really good flicks, like, thrown in the mix there. And Ed Wood was really one of the first ones that I had seen where I was like, oh, wow, he can, like, do a really uh, impressive bang-up job. And, uh, I don't know, like, it was one of those movies that was, like, in love with movies. So, naturally, I, like, enjoyed it a whole lot. Yeah. Had you seen this one before, Malcolm? No, I haven't really seen it. And I, I haven't really seen, like, a lot of the good tim burton i yeah. guess um, well when you said a lot of good ones thrown in there it really is chronological though. yeah like it's yeah just i mean it's the a, early it's up yeah to it's the like Batman the early movies. ones and yeah and after that or i guess after ed wood then i don't know whatever your cutting off point is varies but like you know mm-hmm. beetlejuice and peewee and the yeah Batman actually movies. i am very familiar with peewee i see I'm, i don't even know tim burton as well as i should but, yeah uh yeah, Pee-wee was a... I fucking love Pee-wee. That was a huge influence. Very good movie, yeah. Huge yeah. influence on my character. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I I enjoyed Ed Wood and yeah, Burton's... Burton's uh, he's, he's pretty good. He's all right. Yeah, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think those movies are good. Like, Beetlejuice is good. Mm-hmm. Like, all of them, I had given like three and a half on Letterboxd, you know? Uh, n- all of them had like weak spots for me and like mm-hmm. some spots that, you know, j- just for straight up annoying, to be honest. Uh, but a lot of really good stuff too, you know, uh, and he's so committed to his own world and like everything, like the form of filmmaking, the camera moves and everything, like being dedicated to the world he's trying to build within his films. And I think very few, uh, directors that get, you know, big budgets, uh, at least the budgets that he was getting are that dedicated you know to mm. making cinema that's like that unique and that tailored to one persona on a purely just like otherworldly level so what is the world in this one it's sleazy old b-movie 50s hollywood mm-hmm. uh and this really does look like it you know this looks like a fucking on location 50s b-noir you know uh, kind of like Kiss Me Deadly in some of the driving scenes, especially when they're in the daylight and it's just like bright gray kind of mm-hmm. out. Uh, there's a lot of really beautiful driving scenes in the first half of this. When he first meets the Bella Lugosi character uh, and he's driving him around. Really beautiful stuff there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I um, also feel like some of uh, like the way the apartments are set up add to it like an old film noir quality because they're yeah. kind of like sparse mm-hmm. um, for the most part. I mean, again, going along with like the B-movie, like lack of like resources and money yeah and so it is a really dark looking movie too Mm -hmm. like they do not shy away until you get those bright outdoor driving scenes the first like five ten minutes of this movie is incredibly dark which is really what won me over because when you're committing to a style like that it's easy to make it more accessible to modern audiences Mm -hmm. uh, and play into more contemporary like stylistic choices. And I think some of the camera work might represent that. Obviously there's a lot of stuff in here that wouldn't be done in a fifties B movie Mm -hmm. in terms of like crane shots and shit like that. Uh, But in terms of just like the texture of the cinematography, I feel like it's really true to that feeling. Mm, Yeah. It has a real like stark quality to it. Like it's just, it's super, yeah right away we meet our main character ed wood played by everyone's favorite totally chill dude (laughs) uh loves his wife uh johnny depp and his wife loves him yeah (laughs) 
Nothing more to be said. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do any research. <laughs> That's what I did. That's why I can't speak on authority. I, I know there's something There's there. something, yeah. I'm not yeah. going to look it We up. don't know what, but no. Johnny Depp is either very good or very bad. I'm, pretty sure I'm just going to yeah. say that's my opinion. He's very good in this movie. Yeah, oh, he's great. Say. It's probably like my favorite Depp performance that I've... I, I can't could, think of a yeah. better one. Yeah. Maybe Sweeney Todd. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is seriously one of the worst movies. Uh, I have it yeah. on DVD here, too. Uh, oh. It's one of the worst movies ever. Yeah. Yeah. Dead Man? Dead oh, Man's yeah, great. Probably haven't seen it. Dead Man's great, yeah, but I, I think this performance might be better, though. I yeah. Know. I mean, like, to get into some of the stuff, because I was really, like, the main... I mean, obviously, because the film is so centered on wood, I feel like the performance is a key focal point. But it's interesting, his depiction because i think he has this like really charming uh naive quality to him where he's like unaware of like some of like the more negative aspects of like entertainment as like a business Mm -hmm. which i think is really funny that he's not like up on that hollow side when like artistically all he's obsessed with is like artifice and like having these very like um like not caring about the falsehood of the performances and mm-hmm. the movies. Yeah, I think very early on this film makes it clear that exploitation filmmaking is exploitative. <laughs> like yeah. it's literally just the producer wants a director to make a film that'll freak out Southerners about a sex change, you know? Yeah. And he approaches it, he wants to reveal the secret that he is uh in then contemporary terms a transvestite he enjoys wearing women's clothing i guess now you could say he would be like taking a look at the movie on the whole in his life uh like just gender non-conforming in general i guess is the safest way to go there but he wants to get this job as a director on the picture that would become glenn or glenda and the guy the producer is this you know classic kind of money grubbing cheapo movie producer cigar chomping character uh who just needs the profit and that's all that fucking matters and you know these weirdos in alabama they they want to see this weird twisted perverted shit you know (laughs) uh but ed wood is you know he's passionate about the material you know he wants this to show this representation yeah and and the producer is yeah he even says like we're making shit here like we're we're making shit but the ed wood character throughout like in that scene and others is just he's constantly just amazed by the world around him and like yeah. just all the stars and he he seems like the person who appreciates hollywood the most yeah but i think he also really appreciates like the down and dirty exploitation b-movie stuff because mm-hmm. right away he's saying i'll shoot the movie in four days and yeah. like from the first day he's on set he's printing the first take of everything he shoots you know yeah. uh like he's very on board with the ethos of like run and gun uh, no permit filmmaking mm-hmm. uh, and that's just a joy to see you know because mm-hmm. this movie is not showing it as trash that producer calls it trash this movie is very much from wood's perspective and like this this is a glamorous b-movie industry uh even though the hollywood types uh from that era would look down on these movies like they were trash just like the producer who watches this film mm-hmm. and thinks it's a prank that william wellman sent uh, <laughs> so very early on, he meets Bella Lugosi in a coffin. Uh, Bella Lugosi played here by Martin Landau. And really great. Like, it's a really, it's a good impression on the first level, but it's also just a really great performance 
where the film is never really looking down on him. It's a really sad performance mm-hmm. where he's struggling with drug addiction and poverty and just depression because his, you know, his best days are behind him. Mm. Home. I have no home. Hunted. Despised. Living like an animal. The jungle is my home. And I think it's interesting, like, Landau being at, like, a point in his career where he's been in a lot of great things yeah. and, like, pro- like obviously isn't as hot of a commodity playing this, like, older uh, actor figure. I thought that was a real neat thing. Not so hot a commodity. Look, buddy, he's four <laughs> years <laughs> off crimes and misdemeanors. Oh, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. The movie about where if you do something really bad, you could still get away with it. <laughs> the biggest adult movie of that year. Yeah. Oh man, Crimes and Misdemeanors is crazy. It has uh, Alan Alda as like oh, one of my favorite Alan Alda. Performances. Oh yeah, it's Alan Alda is total great blowhard. Oh my god, <laughs> but yeah, the ethics of that movie are like when you're looking at it's one of those that really feeds into Woody Allen being a complete piece of shit. Like, yeah. Sorry to get off track there. <laughs> <laughs> I still think it's a great movie. <laughs> like, that's how fucked up Woody Allen is. I still think that's a great movie. He's a real piece of shit. That's how manipulative he is. <laughs> yeah, dude. He, Man, maybe I'll bleep the part where I say it's still a great movie. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't fucking no compromise. Just like, <laughs> Just like Ed Wood. Yeah, yeah you're true. like that producer like in Ed Wells. Wood. Yeah. <laughs> you got to follow the stories that you find important. You, know? <laughs> you can't tell their stories. Tell the narratives that they want you to say. And that's why coming this fall from A24, <laughs> the first movie about a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You just see a guy like recording a podcast in a car and sticking out his hand and doing the wave. <laughs> <thing. Like, laughs> then it cuts to the audio waves. <laughs> no, that's why he becomes a podcaster. So he's like a laborer and he like works with his hands and he's on the way to work one day doing the A24 adjuster while listening to like the XX <laughs> and his hand gets fucking chopped off. Uh, and so he has to be a podcaster because he can't work with his hands anymore. No, he's mouthing along the words to a podcast in the car that he's heard so many times. <laughs> He's just line for line repeating Mark Maron. Yeah. The Obama what, WTF <laughs> yeah, yeah, episode yeah. intro. <laughs> oh, God. <sighs> Coming soon. Okay, back to Ed Wood. Sorry. So he meets Bella Lugosi, who, although he is like decrepit and dying, he still has this sense of joy in him that's really sparked by Ed's love for his films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like anytime you just talk about Dracula, it's just like so easy to gas him up uh, because mm-hmm. he's played Dracula his whole life. He did it in Hungry on Stage, and then he did the films, obviously. And it's just this big legacy thing for him. So there's multiple points in the film where Ed Wood just brings up Dracula to bring Mm -hmm. Bela Lugosi out of a funk. And early on, he says that. If you want to make out with a young lady, take her to see Dracula. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Bela Lugosi was on his uh, pickup artist, like, sensing on girls' pheromone. Like, a girl's (laughs) girl's pheromone levels go boost way up when they see blood (laughs) on screen or something like that. Yeah, Bela Lugosi was, like, incredibly horny in this movie. (laughs) Uh, There's one scene in which, like, a young man grabs Vampira's breasts in public and, like, Ed Wood says, like, recalls on it just the next scene later, like, as if, like, it's a shocking thing that happened. Mm -hmm. And Bela Lugosi's just like, oh, yes, I was jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, there's the one scene early on when he's meeting Lugosi where he's 
like uh, Lugosi's like look at those jugs and then he's like trying <laughs> to put to a spell <laughs> like a spell on her yeah. to grab her titties it's yeah. so fucking good and it's great how Ed Wood is like why do they put that like girl in like the middle of these movies or whatever and <laughs> is like I think I think she's hot and you know made me realize you know people watch mo- movies for different reasons sometimes you know <laughs> I remember saying that when I was a kid too, or like when my friends were like, "Oh, like that girl's so hot in that movie." I'm like, I don't, I don't. Why would you just see it? Just to see it? <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. I remember getting mad about that in a video MLB Slugfest. Uh, the what? loading screens uh, were like hot girls in like baseball bikinis, <laughs> and like this isn't what I'm here for. Yeah, I was like, "What the fuck, dude? The loading times on this game suck ass." I'm like eight years old, can't even get real boners yet. And I'm just like, "What am I doing? What am I fucking doing?" I don't like women. <laughs> I want baseball. I want Mark McGuire to be able to beat up the other guys. <laughs> That's why I'm playing this game. Mark McGuire uh, broke the record on my birthday. By the way, I forgot which record for the single season homers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, dude. Yeah, <laughs> it's a big day for white people. Him big beating out Sammy Sosa. <laughs> True. Yeah. Sosa, Sosa got exposed afterwards with that corked bat, and he's turning white himself. If you've seen Wait, what? <laughs> if you look, <laughs> if you look up a photo of Sammy Sosa, he's considerably more light skinned oh, than when on. he was when he was playing baseball. And like speculation is that maybe he's getting surgery or something like that. Well, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Sammy says his choices are his own. <laughs> yeah, I ain't no judgment. Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't have corked the bat, though. Well, look, whatever you got to do to win, you know? <laughs> Those guys were all juicing anyway. True. Jose Canseco exposed them. At this point, Edward gets locked in to make Glenn or Glenda because he has a movie star. And he writes the script real quick, and then he shows it to his girlfriend, who is kind of like his uh, his Polly Platt type character. To you know, that's Peter Bogdanovich's early partner, right? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, God, I don't know. Not googling on this one, but uh, <laughs> look it up, folks. Many of the American great directors yeah. had uh, girlfriends or wives <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. who basically yeah. did half the work. Yeah, <laughs> it. It part two star Peter Bogdanovich. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. I can't wait to go see that just for him, you know? Yeah. That and The Sopranos, that's yeah. like... Exactly. Oh, wait. Uber. There's a Sopranos connection to this as well, because Vito oh. uh, Spedafore oh, yeah. is the security guard. Mm-hmm. Damn, this. dude. Yeah. Also, Xavier Dolan. Wait, who else? Xavier Dolan? Xavier Dolan, yeah. The, the director? The director, yeah. Isn't he too young? No, well, they're... Um, wait, too young to be in the movie? Wait, how old is he? He's like in his. He's not. He's not one of the main, like, cast or anything like that. There's like a. There, it opens on a gay couple getting brutally killed by Pennywise, <laughs> oh. and he's one of the people. Who, oh, he's yeah. in it too. I thought you were yeah. saying he was in Ed Wood. No, no. I was like, was he a baby in Ed Wood? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't catch that Dolan cameo? No. <laughs> he's a prodigy. He's been acting since <laughs> since yeah. the. Oh wait, so you're saying it too opens with a gay couple getting brutally murdered? Yeah, that sucks. Why? Yeah. We... All right. It's, I hey, think I, it's I think in I... it's in the book, dude. Uh, Come that's on. True. Yeah. Okay. If also, it's in the book, then yeah. whatever. But, like, whatever. I, I'm not even going to touch that shit. I'm not going to yeah. watch It too. Yeah. You know well, why? Well, I guess you're better than me. I guess that's why. Because I didn't <laughs> see it one. Uh, that's actually... That's a really good reason. Yeah, why the fuck <laughs> would I see the second one? 
Oh, I just love Bill Hader that much. I need to see him get killed in a sequel yeah. to the movie I didn't see in the I, first place. I ran out of Bill Hader gifts. It's time to go see it in part two. Isn't it funny how everyone wants to fuck Bill Hader now? Yeah. I mean, I think it's cool, kind of, yeah. but like... I fucking hate every male celebrity that anyone wants to fuck, to be honest. <laughs> so now you hate uh, yeah. So you liked Bill Hader until like a year ago. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're all my enemies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, after Ed Wood gets the financing secured, he gets in a fight with his girlfriend. This is where we got off on this detour. And that's where he has he had to reveal, you know, that's what he was. He likes to wear women's clothing, and that's why her sweaters are all stretched out. Uh, I kind of like how the film treats it. It's really... Because it does have fun. Like, there are jokes around mm-hmm. him wearing women's clothing, but it's not looking down at him. No, yeah. It's literally just, like, the funny timing of, like... Oh, that's why my sweaters are stretched out. And then it just cuts back to Edward looking back at her. It's like, kind of just like, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, there, there are a couple. There are a couple comedic beats that hit yeah. a different tone than I'm used to with Burton, where characters can just kind of share a glance or a silence, and it's not punctuated that hard like it would be in Beetlejuice or Pee Wee. Uh, and it's just really funny, and he just lets these things play out in this movie more than he usually does. To go along with what you were saying about how it like depicts him being like gender nonconforming, I mean, there are a lot of other like fun stuff where I think it's like um, the film itself is about like sort of being unconventional, um, and there are a lot of other like I, I really like the scene where uh, he Edward is like get me is like on the phone telling. Uh, Bill Murray's bunny character to like get him as many transvestites as possible yeah. uh, for realism. <laughs> and then there, there's one line uh, that Bill Murray says uh, to one of them that's, you're probably going to get hired because you look like Peggy Lee. <laughs> uh, that's really great. And it's just like, I mean, that's part of, I feel like what I really like enjoy about this movie so much is that it's this unconventional family that gets built up and i think that's like one of the cornier elements of the film but it's Mm -hmm. something that like i can forgive and like i really appreciate because it does like it it seems like burton has a loving admiration for it and that like he wants to be a part of something like that yeah the like the dive into the world of filmmaking that this movie takes for its first hour or so is really just pure joy for me I think it then goes into some kind of biopic tropes that kind of sour me on it. Uh, I still think it works as a movie overall. That's like great. But after he gets to make, like after he makes uh, Bride of the Monster pretty much, uh, from then on it feels a little less committed to like just being like, I hate to say fan service, but <laughs> kind of just like B-movie, like geek fan service, mm-hmm. uh, but done in the most like, loving way kind of like once upon a time in hollywood where it's like you're really just checking the boxes but you're doing it so well that the movie keeps going and it's really fun mm-hmm. but i think the way that these two films differ is that the second half of ed wood does feel a little typical oscar biopicy, and mm-hmm. martin lando was rightly nominated for this movie i'm not sure if he won i'd have to check on that i don't think he did don't but, think he did um once he dies basically spoiler alert bill lugosi died <laughs> did you know about this He's not still alive. <laughs> I I thought I thought he was dead at the start of the movie. Oh yeah, that is a running joke in the movie. Oh, I thought he was dead. All the running jokes are kind of just like, all right, yeah. we get it. You're a screenwriter and you do. Uh, 
screenwriter. The much? screenwriter is on Twitter, uh, Larry Karowaziski or whatever. Oh, that guy. Uh, yeah, he he. It's him and Scott Alexander. Yeah. Okay, let's add him in the episode. Yeah, we, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about how great they are. So, speaking of the screenwriting, though, like a lot of the dialogue is really good because it's funny and real and kind of stilted in the way that mm-hmm. Ed Wood is in his dialogue writing. It's like very specific. Uh, but there's also just like, yeah, some of the some of the plot mechanics, the way it turns into the next act of the movie uh, often feels very forced. Like when Bela Lugosi dies, you know, uh, it kind of does the typical kind of quote unquote grace note thing. And you can't even call it that because you see it coming mm-hmm. when he performs the speech from Bride of the Monster, like outside of a theater in broad daylight. Uh, when it looks like he was about to die uh, after he gets out of rehab mm. and like a crowd is forming around him and they're like, Oh, uh. Bella, you're as good as you've ever been. And he's like, well, I'm better. <laughs> uh, and then the next, and then it like cuts to his funeral. Basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just like, Oh, come on. Like, yeah, of course you're going to show him have his moment in the sun yeah. before he dies. And then it gets all sad and everyone That's clapped. the second act break. Yeah. And yeah. that shit is whack. Yeah. You, you hate to read beats in a movie yeah when you see yeah. three scenes ahead it's yeah. like fuck this and yeah. that's and that's not something you'd see in an ed wood movie no it's not yeah. because yeah. ed wood movies they have like a base structure at least like the couple that i've seen mm-hmm. like you could break the movie into thirds or a halves really because they're usually 80 minutes or mm-hmm. so uh i think night of the ghouls is a clean 69 minutes Oof. and it really has that like opening 10 minutes and then a 50 minute story and then <laughs> another 10 minutes like it's a really nothing movie but it's very fun <laughs> like it has all these little classic edwood uh you know uh artificiality just indulging in that as much as you can yeah uh and some like you know repurposed footage of dead actors <laughs> <laughs> which you just love to see like that's mm-hmm. that's why it didn't really fall off because as corny or hackneyed as Lugosi's death was i think the way that burton undercuts it with edward's character immediately being okay with repurposing yeah. the footage and yeah. not struggling with that all just like oh yeah time to exploit this yeah. okay cool yeah uh, i think that's very good <laughs> and lugosi and wood's relationship i mean edward is ex- kind of exploiting he's them. completely, he's completely exploit. it's kind of yeah and i i think the movie pay, you know pays attention to that but it's definitely a romanticized relationship yeah. for, oh, sure. for which, sure which is like how could you not yeah. yeah, and then towards the end of the movie, uh, when Ed Wood is making Plan 9 from Outer Space, so he has to get funding from, like, a church uh, and, like, do this crazy scheme on them where uh, he's like, oh, just let me make one of your movies and it'll mm-hmm. make enough money to fund your 12 Apostles serial, I guess. <laughs> uh, so they make Plan 9 from Outer Space. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he has his second low point because, like, movies like this always have, like, two like uh low points for the character it has like yeah. the transition transition into the third act which is lugosi's death and then it has the one right before the climax too uh and so this one he goes to a bar and drinks for like 30 seconds and then he sees orson wells and he has uh-huh. his he has his uh zach efron moment uh, me and yeah. orson wells. <laughs> <laughs> uh this and look i like me and orson wells so i will say that this scene is much worse than that movie uh that yeah. scene also really bugged me like vincent d'onofrio as orson <laughs> wells clearly dubbed because he couldn't get the voice right <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That, like that scene is just sloppy why do you have to keep it in there but it's like a structuring thing too so they mm-hmm. have to yeah 
it's definitely giving the fans a little bit too much what they want. You know what I mean? Just, yeah, but it's also just like a screenwriting 101 yeah. thing where you put Orson Welles posters in the back and then you have him in the first act and the second act compare himself to Orson Welles. Yeah. And then in the third act, he meets Orson Welles, yeah. who gives him the confidence to keep pushing on. Yeah. yeah. It's like, fuck you, Larry and Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Still a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> we love it. We love it. Four fucking bullets for yeah. me. Scott Derrickson. Is that who wrote this movie? Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, but yeah we're pretty much done i think it's great it mm-hmm. doesn't jack off too much to hollywood because it's focusing on b mm-hmm. movies uh and it actually is kind of putting the finger to the big studios because mm-hmm. ed wood was rejected by them and uh it's a great biopic because biopics are already gonna be bad and so this just like pushes it so far that it actually becomes a good movie uh despite the 20 minutes in here that i would like to burn and never watch <laughs> <laughs> No, yeah, I, I'll give it three and a half bullets. I love like all the stuff dedicated to the hustle and the process. Like you got to love that stuff. Although I feel like the pacing wasn't completely there for me mm-hmm. at points. And uh, I mean, I don't know. It kind of took took me out of it a little bit here and there. I have to admit, I can't fully attest to the pacing because at about an hour and 20 minutes, I did pause the movie mm-hmm. and go outside <laughs> for... 10, 15 minutes. Okay. Come back. So it did feel like two movies. Yeah, digging a hole out there. Sometimes you got to do it, man. <laughs> yeah. You just Sometimes you got to go outside. Yeah. You're just like locked in watching movies all day straight and you got to do it. <laughs> we watch five movies per day. <laughs> yeah. So these little like 10 minute uh, intervals outside, it's really appreciated. <laughs> what do you think about it, JT? Um, I'm going to say uh, four bullets. Um, yeah, I really liked it. I that doesn't match your letterbox. So I know. I like. Are you gonna do yeah. a classic Eddie move and downgrade it? Yeah, after I, the fact? I'm gonna downgrade it after the fact. I mean, like, because just like thinking about about how I f- was feeling when I was watching it. Um, I don't know. Just because I liked it more when I was uh, younger, I feel like is why that half bullet is uh, <laughs> going down. Um, but I still really enjoyed it, and I think in terms of like last notes that i want to hit about the film i uh there was a girl i knew in elementary school who took great pride in saying that she was related to tor johnson oh shit. i think she was like a granddaughter or grand niece or something like that and i was like i don't know who this is i'm six <laughs> she was like have you seen plan nine from outer space and it was like no that's and awesome I was like yeah. and yeah but um yeah it's a loose connection yeah do you guys remember the Chinese restaurant episode of Seinfeld? I think I can recall that. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, he's late to go see Plan 9 from Outer Space. Oh, oh yeah, shit. yeah. I he, do. He, he calls it the worst movie ever made multiple times. And it's like, Jerry, you're of course, you're fucking yeah. that guy. Bourgeois worst character pig. on yeah. Seinfeld. Yeah, did, was he like Beaches or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> Jerry likes fucking uh, the English patient. <laughs> Elaine is real. She hates it. Yeah. She Respect. wants to see sack lunch. And <laughs> I, I too, would like to know how they got in there. <laughs> we'll be right back on Extended Play. There are some people on this earth who will not tolerate lactose. Welcome back to Extended Clip after a nice little extended break. I'm still one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know what? I'll reintroduce myself, too. I'm Malcolm Bond. I'm not going to reintroduce myself. Look, the people need to know. They might be flipping their <laughs> diet. Yeah, just changing from podcast to podcast. Yeah. 
the best thing to do when listening to podcasts throw one on just skip it like <laughs> as far as your cursor will drag just like don't even look see how far you get in i download 30 podcast episodes a day and i put them all in a playlist and then when i'm driving around the city as i do all day that's my job i drive <laughs> around the city for fun i just skip through i'm like i'm tuning it tuning the dial that's, That's what I do for this, just to listen to my own voice. Just skip to those parts. Oh, you just skip to the parts with you? Mm-hmm. Nice. I could do that to me, to you right now. Wow. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm skipping to the part where JT's not here. <laughs> Owned. We just own JT. Yeah. He's gone. He's he a was, He was bitch. kicked off. But now we're... Now he's back on. Am I back on? Yeah, you are. I'm back live. On. I think the levels cool. are still fine, too. That's fine. Well, welcome back. Did you guys uh, watch anything else this week? Yeah, yeah, I did. I watched Tombstone. You guys ever hear about this? Yeah, I remember in film school we had this stupid ass assignment where you're supposed to like recreate a scene from a movie. Film mm-hmm. students know about this. Or yeah, it's a common thing. And like uh, this dude wanted to do a scene from Tombstone, mm-hmm. and yep, it was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tombstone's all right. I liked it a little bit more than I was expecting to for like a uh, like a '90s kind of like. It's in like bro canon type Western stuff like that, mm-hmm. but it's pretty good, at least for its first hour. I mean, Kurt Russell, Sam Neill, you know, these are people who look like they could have played cowboys, you know, so why not put them in a cowboy movie? Um, but it's all right. Yeah. I don't really, have, <laughs> I can't, I don't, I'm not really good at forming opinions on movies anymore. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> 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 it's like westerns got so bad yeah like the, the revival western or revisionist westerns or whatever the good ones are so few far few and far between uh i mean some of my favorite movies of all time fall into that category like mm-hmm. mccabe and mrs miller yeah or, i mean i wouldn't say unforgiven is one of my all-time favorites but it's a fucking classic it's up there you know? But yeah, I feel you. Tombstone, it looks like I probably would have enjoyed it because of who's in it, but like fucking isn't it like over two hours? Yeah, that's Ooh. that's that's where it goes sour. Like it, it, it definitely it definitely end like the movie feels like it ends at a certain point and then there's thirty more minutes. And that's uh that's never a good quality. Yeah, I love when that happens. Yeah. You're you're just like getting ready, you're get you're you're putting your trash mm-hmm. in your popcorn container. Yeah. And you're like pulling up your pants. Yeah. You're like <laughs> <laughs> you're doing a lot of fidgeting with your yeah. belt. Getting ready to leave the theater. Yeah. And be the yeah. first one in the bathroom. Me halfway through Vice when they did the, <laughs> the fake, fake, fake credits. Yeah. I'm like, all right, nice. Uh, yeah, that, cool. It's over. Hey, the movie sucked, but at least it was short. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> all right. I, I do have something, some, something to say about this movie mm-hmm. now that I think about it. The reason why the first half is kind of good and the second, like the last. I would say 45 minutes are really bad is that like the the first you know hour and 20 minutes or so kind of has a slower pace it's more low-key kind of more about kind of the community and the settings and then kind of the plot mechanics kick in and then it just kind of moves really fast it should have should have been longer or just more condensed just more smartfully made Cause then a lot of these revenge scenes. Sorry, I'm sorry. We couldn't contain ourselves on that one. Smartfully made, like that's extended clip is smartfully made. Yeah. See, it's so funny. I don't even realize that's not even a word. I don't even grasp the humor of the situation. No. But, yeah. Nice. What about you, JT? Um, I am gonna do a lot of. Uh, mispronunciation now 
um, for the flicks that I saw. But I, in my like, if I mispronounce anything, uh, it's just because Alicia Malone was the TCM host introducing uh, one of these films, and uh, she fucked up, and it's her fault. And uh, I think you should tweet at her. Uh, yeah. Bad things. Second week in a row, Alicia Malone's got an airtime. <laughs> I'm just hoping she'll date me. I'm <laughs> nagging her right now. The um, ultimate movie bro <laughs> fantasy. <laughs> Alicia Malone, baby. Oh God. <laughs> Writing on a fucking image board that feel with no TCM girlfriend. <laughs> ben Mankiewicz is for the fellas. Alicia Malone, I get a little bit more sensitive. Uh, also for the fellas. <laughs> yeah, also for the fellas. Both for the fellas. Uh, um, uh, but if you'll excuse me to talk about the films that she was respectfully bringing to me. Um, I invite Alicia into my home. She brings me some films. And uh, this week it was Emma Tai and Sido uh, by Usman Sembene. Mm-hmm. Um, the Senegalese uh, filmmaker, like m- most famously known for Black Girl, mm-hmm. and I was curious about these pictures because I was like, oh, I haven't seen like I think beforehand like an African film, and I was like, oh, this is kind of fucked up. Not but, a single one. Yeah, no. Dude, you're fucking racist. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the one I enjoyed more of the two, Sido uh, and Emitai, was Emitai, um, and both of the films were made in the seventies. But are in like a loose uh, colonial period, I think. Like, like well, Emitai is like during World War Two, um, and then Sido, I think, is like a similarly placed time. But it's about like a group of French Imperials intervening in this tribe to the point where they're like, they like the Imperials have been in control there for like a little bit. And now I think they're like asking for more like rice and they've kidnapped all the women and children. And then there's sort of this like tribal council uh, deciding on what to do in this situation, whether it's sort of like a fight or like, do we give in or like what kind of thing? And they're consulting like their gods. And I think the standout scene for me was there's one uh, main like tribe leader early on in the film who dies um, who is like advocating like the the strongest for violence against the French Imperials and like directly responding with that, and then he gets killed and he talks uh, to one of the gods and it's just like a very interesting like the way the film is shot is very akin to like the slow cinema movement and there are a lot of like impressive long takes, um, but there's just like a lovely back and forth where it's like the last breath of this guy dying and uh talking to this god and coming face to face with it and it's just so interesting and like different from anything i had seen before they're both really great flicks i would suggest checking them both out nice i also did some tv film viewing uh my favorite channel netflix (laughs) That was like a Bill Maher joke reading. (laughs) (laughs) What's Netflix for? The Republicans? (laughs) See, I don't like Netflix because they don't have uh, like an Alicia Malone or Ben Mankiewicz type. Yeah, where's their... They don't have a Vampira. Yeah. (laughs) Vampira, sorry. Well, I wouldn't really compare Alicia Malone to... No, I was talking Ben Mankiewicz is like a a Vampira. (laughs) I think that's where... Alicia Malone's more like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's dad who used to introduce horror movies. I didn't know that. Oh, really? No. Oh. 
Damn. That, you don't know your fucking Paul Thomas Anderson <laughs> trivia? Hey, I like PTA a lot. I'm not a fucking fanboy, all right? <laughs> I just respect his work. That's where we along my day. <laughs> I'm trying to track the man down. Look, I know one of the establishments he regularly eats at, and I know one of the places where you get sporting goods, because my friend sold him a tent. <laughs> I won't say where yeah. my friend works, but look, that's my, all I'm saying. My friend said he had access to Logan Paul's address at one point. You know? Access to Logan Paul's address? <laughs> he didn't have an address. <laughs> access he to He could it. call a guy. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unlock that. Well, the Netflix movie that I watched was the Between Two Ferns movie. And, you know, usually on these like weekly catch-up things, I like to say something that I liked. Uh, but you know what? Fuck that. I loved Ad Damn. Astra and I loved Ruggles of Red Gap. I also took another look at F for Fake and Ocean's 12. Two fucking great movies. But Between Two Ferns, man, it's stuck in my craw because it's not like a bad movie necessarily. Actually, it is. It's not like a terrible movie. It has some scenes that are absolutely disgusting uh, that are just like the worst type of coincidence and like you can do it nice core bullshit ever. Uh, but there's also a lot of funny shit. There's like an eight minute blooper reel. And it's like really the most conflicted I've felt about a new release in a while because on every like critical assessment I can give it, it's so fucking bad. Like it's a fully improvised movie and you can fucking feel it. You know, it's not like the curb sense where it's like you write an outline and you improv the scenes. It really felt like they're improving the plot structure. Uh, it's really just like sloppily thrown together. And then, you, and then I heard Scott Ackerman, uh, you know, promoting the movie on, he wrote and directed the movie or he directed the movie. Uh, and he was on Doughboys this week and he was talking about how, you know, they just improv for a couple weeks and then had to throw it together and post. And it's like, not really something to brag about with your <laughs> fucking movie. Like it yeah. really shows, but you know, there's a lot of funny shit between two ferns was a funny web series at its peak. Uh, even though it goes into some weird kind of corporate, like down the middle stuff, like when they had Obama and like a lot of the, you know, really shitty people in here, like Chrissy Teigen and John Legend, just really way down the film. And I gave it three stars to start. I bumped it down to two and a half. The more I talk about it, now I'm just going to give it two. Damn. But here's the real thing. Here's the real <laughs> fuck. <laughs> no, 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 no. I got to get into this. Bill Maher, break it down for us. Start the clock. Uh, <laughs> no, this is our third week talking about him. It's fucking Adam McKay again. He, oh. he's, he's at it again. He's done it again, folks. He's triggered me. <laughs> Adam McKay has triggered me once again. So you see the funnier die logo 30 seconds into this movie. You think, oh, yeah, Scott Ackerman, funnier die, they're friends, whatever. Mm -hmm. Adam McKay left the company years ago. And it's a piece of shit company, but whatever. And then the whole joke of the movie is that, like, Will Ferrell is Scott Ackerman. Or not Scott Ackerman. Will Ferrell is Zach Galifianakis' boss. And, like, he, at Funny or Die, is producing Ferns, you know, as mm -hmm. they did, I believe. And for a little background, Funny or Die is, like, one of the shining examples of venture capitalism entering uh, the arts and ruining people's lives. Like, uh, it just, like, was a thing that got some fucking funding from some Silicon Valley dipshits. And Adam McKay and Will Ferrell, you know, got a website where they can post their epic viral videos where a baby wants the rent, you know, because yeah. she's the landlord. Uh, or is he the landlord? I don't remember. That video's dumb anyway. I liked it in Boyhood. <laughs> but anyway, so Funny or Die, they get all this money and they make all these sketches and they put them online and they invent sketch comedy for the <laughs> internet. Uh, nobody ever thought about doing funny videos online. So they hire all these fucking comedy writers 
and they have them like working full time as like production assistants basically uh just working on these sets and getting exploited in terms of wages and hours and you know not allowing a unionization and just getting ripped off and there's a lot of writing about it um uh from a labor perspective mm-hmm. and a lot of comedians have spoken out ag- about it because it's fucking hard to make a living you know and funnier die it's like oh adam mckay wants to pay me to make funny silly videos mm-hmm. of course i'm gonna you know dedicate my life to this fucking not even minimum wage piece of shit job uh so anyway that's my gripe with them adam mckay has left the company you know years ago he left before it became a f- sinking ship that was just like cutting people and not feeding their employees and all that bullshit but Will Ferrell is in this movie as like the CEO of Funny or Die, and he's like a corporate mega lord, you know, and he mm-hmm. has like a big screen that has how many hits his website has. And it's supposed to be funny because like Funny or Die, that's not like a big site anymore. Nobody does that anymore. It's so funny that like this like uh Will Ferrell is like a big corporate CEO, but everyone knows he's just a good guy. He's just fucking Ron Burgundy. We all love him. And Funny or Die, they're just our fun friends who make funny content. Yeah. So fuck you, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like I like this beef. Yeah, I, I think we should talk about this every episode. Yeah, we, need... we fucking hate Adam McKay. Maybe we'll get Jack Allison on the pod. Uh, that would be pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, we got to develop this further. We yeah. got to take this to a lot of different places. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe not even just the pod. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, so that's my beef between two ferns. It's like, man, everyone is so funny, but it's like such a bad movie. And then like. The Will Ferrell funnier die stuff really just hits me the wrong way where you're just joking about something that like kind of fucking ruined, if not ruined the actual careers, ruined the career perspectives of a lot of comedy writers who feel just absolutely betrayed and don't want to work in the industry and are fucking doing Twitch streams because they couldn't make it doing like sketch, which they were promised a career in somehow. (laughs) I don't know. It's fucking stupid and comedy is the dumbest shit ever. Yeah. It's not a good idea to be a fan of comedy. <laughs> yeah, comedy sucks. Comedy yeah. sucks, dude. There's like three funny podcasts, and that's the extent of good comedy. Mm-hmm. I don't like to laugh. Yeah, we're not one of them. Yeah, we're not there yet. <laughs> I feel like I went really long on that Adam McKay rant. That's good. That's I, good. That's good. It's finally Someone something substantial in this it. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, did I talk in conclusion? Adam McKay, you're on watch. I know that you're supposed to be the good guy. And about two years ago, I would have said, as far as like Hollywood libs go, he's as far left as you get. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that anymore. I used to think that for some fucking strange reason, I thought that. And it's just not true. Like, just because he doesn't like rich people, uh, he kind of still likes rich people, by the way, uh, doesn't mean he's like a good rich guy. If you're a rich person, just be a rich person. Or just like actually yeah, yeah. fucking do shit about yeah, it if yeah. you want to be a political guy. Like behind, behind if you the, have yeah. all this fucking money and you want to be the mm-hmm. big short and you want to be Mr. Vice, like how about you actually do some fucking action and don't make like bullshit liberal movies where you and your millionaire friends are hanging out in costumes for a couple months. Yeah, definitely. I'd say take the Catholic route on this and just do your good deeds in silence. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out Marty Scorsese. Respect. <laughs> <laughs> now that's respect. <laughs> Commendatori. Like a command. I like that. That's respect. Welcome back to Extended Clip. We are going along tonight. Already 9 11 p.m. And trust me, we haven't forgotten. <laughs> to get to our second film, <laughs> Local Legends, the 2013 film by Matt Farley. Now, this is a film about Mount Farley, the filmmaker, 
the director. So let's talk about him, you know? Let's get into him before we get into the film. He's a filmmaker, an actor, a musician, producer. Uh, he makes films with a guy named Charles Roxburgh and a crew of regular collaborators behind and in front of the camera. He makes backyard movies. And look, honestly, you can just pause this right now and listen to the Important Cinema Club episode on him. Uh, it's very well informed and they know what they're doing. Uh, will and Justin are very smart guys and they talk about him in depth like we will not do and they will they interview him like we will not do. Yeah, we're very ill-informed. And but don't like know them, what we're doing. we will do a podcast about yeah. him. So yeah, yeah we're doing yeah. that now. Yeah. I, I span around in circles before I started <laughs> recording. That's how uninformed I am. <laughs> I, yeah, I made Malcolm put his head down on the bat. He did dizzy bats. That's the only way they'll give me the mic if they dizzy me up first. Yo, did you talk shit about Paul Thomas Anderson? You got to do 30 dizzy bats. Uh, so he makes a lot of very fun genre films. He makes kind of old school monster movies, but they're comedies. He says so much in Local Legends that he makes straight-faced comedies disguised as horror films and uh, his character he says that in voiceover to the audience he also tells a girl uh who's desperately trying to fuck him uh mm. that they're you know in the vein of slumber party massacre two three and silent night deadly night two uh you know he knows his shit you know obviously he's one of us to say the least yeah. uh yeah, did we all feel seen in this in this experience this afternoon? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I like yeah. I had not heard of Farley before you brought him to the table and it was such a refreshing and like aspirational figure because oh, yeah. he's so affable and like out there like fucking doing it in yeah. the mm -hmm. trenches just like mm -hmm. not giving a shit, just making cinema with what you have. Like yeah, one yeah. of the boys. And and also like a like when you hear that right like someone who's independently making art you know like he's someone who's really bringing everyone up with him and he's a real man about town you know he's a real like oh yeah li a literal man about town he just, i mean as the title suggests local legends yeah. it's like he's not fucking around about how much he's part of the community yeah he's just like walking around the town listening to red Sox games and just like yeah. talking to people and you know the local flavor you get in all of his films in this you know consistent group of collaborators is so great and you get mm -hmm. that small town charm that like you know it sounds condescending coming from fucking city folks like coastal us. Elites. Uh, i'm not yeah. a city folk coastal I, elites i mean none of us technically are city folks we're all from outside of major cities is that correct i guess yeah basically city folk i mean santa cruz you're far away from yeah the technically Bay watsonville yeah. which oh. was a, a rural rural town and I you're mean, outside I, philly well i mean like two hours away i'm a big a big yeah. suburbs boy yeah i like farley hit like a lot of good like small town stuff like his love of walking my fucking god like dude i feel seen to like a man that just loves a good stroll like around the neighborhood mm -hmm. you like see people wave say hello mm -hmm. that's fucking small town living yeah it's so nice and the way he shows all these like unique characters like i feel like sometimes like doing the hometown like sort of weirdos like having a cast of like unusual characters can seem like kind of condescending like sometimes like when tim and uh tim oh, and eric yeah. do that oh, kind yeah. of thing it's like the people aren't in on the joke. Yeah, you think it's funny until you go to a show in Hollywood and you see David Liebehart on the sidewalk, like, charging people a dollar to talk to his puppet. And it's like, <laughs> ah, shit. Like, yeah. As much as this movie's about him building his own mythology, it's there's a lot of love for everyone in the town. And at, like, like you said, everyone's right there with them, like, yeah. on the same level. 
they seem so supportive of yeah. him. Milhouse is one of the all-time greats. Milhouse G is just, oh my God, his role with local legends as, you know, as himself and just like throwing these open mic events and, you know, he does it in his mom's basement and just the look that he gives upstairs when mm-hmm. like the dog starts barking <laughs> or his mom goes down to do laundry. Mm-hmm. It's just like those little things of like these characters you meet in local scenes, like, the local scene around here was not great growing up. There were a lot of local bands that sucked that played the same kind of garbagey rock music that my young bands did. Uh, but you always met like these weirdos that kind of stuck with you for a long time and they end up being your friends and you're like, Oh, I'm actually the weirdo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and yeah, I think Farley just has nothing but love for the people that he collaborates with. And it's like so heartwarming to see compared mm-hmm. to, you know, frankly, hilarious shit that can often be condescending. Like yeah. when other people use locals, you know, mm-hmm. or quote unquote non-actors. Local legends is some wholesome fun. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, 100%. Like it's, I don't know, in the plotless kind of nature of it, mm-hmm. it's, just you get to spend like i mean it's such a brief film but you fe- you feel like you get a good experience just like hanging out with all these like lovely characters yeah um and it's so fucking funny oh my god farley's sense of humor across his films is so good i mean his sense of dialogue is so unique like ed mm-hmm. wood he has that i i think actually will sloan did point this out i hate to just bite their podcast you know uh but he has a similarity to ed wood in how distinct his dialogue is mm-hmm. and how stilted it is like if you watch river beast there's that line about like uh so we'll take his child from a previous marriage and raise him as if he was our own <laughs> <laughs> uh like all of the very good details about people's relationships to one another being stated in the text is so funny and like the names of the movies i mean come on like over his career he has titled such gems as adventures in Cruben county or sorry adventures in Cruben country sammy the tale of a teddy in a terrible tunnel druid gladiator clone obtuse todd freaky farley which we see in local legends monsters marriage and murder in manch vegas which we see in local legends don't let the river beast get you also in local legends local legends <laughs> slingshot cops the motern media christmas special not a crazy title there but hey check it out folks if you haven't and uh metal detector maniac on the way ot dub 2020 we can't wait keep your eyes peeled 2020 most anticipated list it's not it's number one at this point and i'm flipping through a little interview here uh from the important cinema club book with matt farley and i think like a really key thing to his uh whole project really is when he says after college most people just stop doing silly movies with their friends but we doubled down and started making much more involved movies with our friends. And you kind of see that timeline progress, even in local legends, the difference between freaky Farley and don't let the river beast get you. And then he flashes back to some of his very amateurish films. And you know, the, the basics of the film form are still kind of there. Like he has his kind of fixations with like, uh, using deep focus and like the cheap way that you can with consumer grade stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, like there's a really good shot of Millhouse like putting a flyer on a mailbox and then you see in the deep background Farley approaching 
and you see shots that kind of look like that in like his earliest films that he shows you clips mm-hmm. of and there is the consistent formal approach like across yeah. the t- it's not just like a personality auteur he really is like if you're looking at it from a rigorous formalist perspective there's a lot of similarities mm-hmm. through these movies in terms of his choices of camera angles movements cutting and a lot of that obviously has to do with budgetary constraint but hey these are choices like e40 rapped about <laughs> Yeah, but I think like in terms of like the general narrative uh, silliness that you talked about for a little bit, I think that that allows him to like couch a lot of really important and like interesting discussions. Like in this one, like there's a whole lot of like the sense of like being an artist and like the whole craftsman kind of stuff. There's like the angle where the girl that really wants to fuck him is a costume designer, but she just wants to design costumes not for people to wear. And then <laughs> mm-hmm. I think in reference to that, someone says at some point, blech, I hate artistic people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like that, like by doing it in like such a silly like way, he manages to have like these big issue conversations and sort of encapsulate very well what it's like to be uh, a low budget like maker trying to produce stuff and have people see your work in like a really authentic way that like because it's so ridiculous uh it grounds it but not in a way where it feels like nice core bullshit yeah and so we should just get into local legends now officially uh the plot of the movie as it were is so this is like a 70 minute movie with like 45 minutes of plot and the rest is like a non-fiction kind of diary type thing and explainer slash promotional video for his other (laughs) projects uh it's wonderful um as i described the first time i watched it it reminded me of like jlg jlg portrait in december the film where godard is just like taping himself just like trying to work but not being able to and then going and playing some tennis and like <laughs> hanging out and taking some landscape shots you know that's like farley playing basketball and yeah. like uh flyering shows and like writing fart songs and stuff like that so the film shows farley at an open mic at first and he's doing some comedy doing some songs uh the one-liners honestly are pretty funny in the beginning mm-hmm. of this like yeah. some of them seem intentionally like you know the quote-unquote bad joke you know yeah. on purpose but like some of them are just straight up funny ass punchlines. Mm-hmm. uh and then he ends it with scarlett johansson farts which is a classic song uh off one of the toilet bowl cleaner records and then he's approached by a fan who wants to show him her Billy Joel CDs because she actually has all of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it turns out she doesn't. And that is such a fucking good premise. Like yeah. she, for the whole movie, she's just known as the fake ass Billy Joel fan who said she has all of his albums. So she only has the three greatest hits albums. <laughs> Does that... Is- <laughs> Does that ring a bell to anyone? <laughs> Any of our listeners ever fucking degrade people by thinking of them like that? Uh, I think all three of us have. <laughs> no, I haven't. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, he like the whole time is like negging her. but It's because he just is not interested, yeah. which is just so funny because it's just like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. And then he does get it at the end. He gets another girl who comes in and it's, it's very much in Woody Allen fashion. And he does, he does fancy himself a Woody Allen, uh, <laughs> 
devotee in this mm-hmm. movie and i think that's perfectly fine <laughs> yeah. i think that's very good like it's so funny i don't know uh because look yeah those movies fucking are great like as we talked about earlier mm-hmm. woody allen's a piece of shit unlike matt farley who seems like a great person yeah. the nice woody allen oh the my nice god woody yeah allen. look full disclosure i talked to matt on the phone before we recorded tonight uh and he seems like the nicest person possible mm-hmm. like you know i heard his interview already and watched i've taking the deep dive on his work i already knew he was a good person but yeah just talking to him over the phone total sweetie unlike yeah. woody allen <laughs> <laughs> who i talked to earlier yeah, no, we, yeah. Uh, total, malcolm talked to on yeah, the phone he's a yeah. salty yeah. asshole yeah, yeah. Well, he's nice to me i know he's mean to other but, um, <laughs> he's just really mad because i'm like trying to get him to upload his own like cam rip of a rainy day in new york he's <laughs> gonna lose money he's not gonna do it but uh you know, when you say, I feel like Matt Farley's not even negging this chick necessarily. It's just, he's just he, not interested. He's just not interested. And he's so kind of, he like like I said, he's building his own mythology. He's always like, he has like a set track of thoughts in his head that, you know, maybe not everyone else. He doesn't think like everyone else thinks. Yeah. And uh, so th- his first encounter with this woman, he describes it later. It's just a fucking disaster. You know, she's a fake Billy Joel fan and she offered him wine, which is just disgusting because you're in Rhode Island. You got to drink coffee milk. <laughs> <laughs> Not impressed. Oh, and she had wine for me. Wine. I mean, do people drink wine? Most people. If she had come into that room with a couple of glasses of coffee milk, then I would have respected her. I would forgive her the Billy Joel discrepancy because of the coffee milk. Coffee milk? State drink of Rhode Island. All right, let's get to work. The coffee milk thing is great. Throughout the whole movie, he's just obsessed with... It looks like it's just chocolate milk, right? It's just yeah. syrup and milk. Yeah. Plus coffee milk. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. That's like, uh, it's like one of his very hungry and thirsty musical projects, the Hungry Food Band. <laughs> so speaking of food and beverages, yeah, uh, the Hungry Food Band is one of Matt's musical projects. And like very early into this movie, we realize that he is involved in way too many musical projects for <laughs> any human being. Uh, he attaches himself to, or like, I guess he renames himself as different artists or bands. And he has all these alter egos that he writes different songs under because he loves novelty song. And if you know me, you know I love novelty songs. <laughs> Going all the way back to the 1930s, Benny Bell, Shaving Cream. I mean, come <laughs> on. <laughs> the birth of the dirty right there. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I, that's like an instant like thing to win me over, Mm -hmm. uh, is you got novelty songs. You got someone Mm -hmm. making silly songs. It's like Ishtar. Uh, that's a very easy comparison to make is the first 30 minutes or so of Ishtar where Hoffman and Beatty are just in New York, different New York apartments and spaces trying to come up with new songs and just eating shit and like being really funny with each other because they're friends. And that's like the Moe's Haven reunion we Mm -hmm. see in this. Moe's Haven is Farley's old band that seems like his least financially successful band but they're getting back together just for the fun of it this is his project that he put the most artistic consideration and he wants to be like bob dylan and whatnot van morrison w- yeah van- and pink floyd <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which i think he says a couple times even and uh it's a really good joke mm, they yeah. set out to be a mix of bob dylan mm. pink floyd and van morrison <laughs> to change the world <laughs> <laughs> exactly and then you kind of you have like these novelty songs right and it's kind of it's kind of like uh, the scenes where Farley and I might be getting ahead of myself here, but the scenes where Farley is his own like manager, his own yeah. business consultant. Oh, so good. You know, you could kind of parallel that to like where the Christians and Ed Wood are telling him, you know, you got to 
change it to be more like this you know these these novelty songs i think he enjoys them but they're also a means to an end they're oh yeah financially beneficial towards him so when we learn about novelty songs this is when the film fully breaks down the fourth wall and farley speaks in very frank voiceover and shows like a slideshow basically uh of like stats and lists of song names and artist names and how much money he's pulling in from Spotify. And it seems like a minute amount, you know, he's making two, three bucks a year on some of his most popular novelty songs about poop and farts and, uh, you know, Scarlett Johansson or, uh, anyone, any other given celebrity. But then he realizes if I just keep making these things, if I churn out 20,000 of these, I can make 40,000 a year. (laughs) That's not bad. So he is dedicating his life to making all these insane amounts of songs and he makes so many and they're all so good. I mean, (laughs) if you just sample through Spotify, so many of them are good. Diarrhea Bounce Back is my favorite song (laughs) in this movie. It's called the Diarrhea Bounce Back. Bounce when I'm doing songs about poop, I call myself the Toilet Bowl Cleaners, and the poop songs are really big hits for me. By my standards, of course, which means like $10 per song per year, but, but that's huge. Turns out when people are done searching for the latest pop hits at a music website, they get bored and they start searching for really weird words. Eventually, one of those words that they're going to search for is poop, and when they do that, they're going to find the Toilet Bowl Cleaners, and I'm going to make a little bit of money it's pretty cool but the diary bounce back is fantastic also papaphobia uh, i'm afraid of the pope is like that's <laughs> the one that set me off on my ishtar kick i was like okay that is straight up like elaine may-esque <laughs> not actually but uh it's it's like ishtar i don't know it's the only point of comparison i can bring and matt if you're listening we love ishtar <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's like such an earnest glee to the dumbness that like and stupid quality to the humor and just like so much of it that i feel like without like ever setting out to like creates like a level of poetry and like beauty to it oh yeah it's just Mm -hmm. being like i don't know there it it feels like having given my life to so many ridiculous endeavors um it's you can admire that just like going all in and like Mm -hmm. being sincere in that respect so to get back to what Malcolm said about the uh, the marketing, the alter ego character. So as he's explaining this financial process of how he makes a living, and he also has a job at a retirement community, uh, publicly funded, or no, it's a nonprofit though. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he works like overnight shifts where he basically gets to sleep and occasionally has to wipe old men's butts, mm-hmm. uh, which is, hey, it's a living. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems pretty, he seems to love it because it gives him his creative freedom. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that's just like so inspirational, like coming at a time right now where it's like, I feel completely creatively stuck other than doing the podcast because all I do is fucking work at a restaurant, you know? And so all I have time to do is like watch a handful of movies a week and do a pod, uh, which is fine. I love doing that, but it's like, <laughs> I wish I could be fucking making movies like the reason I went to film school for, you know, like, uh, and this movie really shows like everything that you want in that, just that pure feeling of fucking creation of like just doing fun shit with your friends. I don't know. Like when he's playing one-on-one with his friends and they're (laughs) pretending to be fucking Moses Malone and Carl (laughs) Malone. (laughs) It's really, it's making the most out of your situation and like realizing you know, these moments are, you know, they're the good ones. You have to cherish them and make you could make them even better. Like these one on one sessions that they have they're they, you know, begin to ponder 
what if we hired a statistician (laughs) to keep track? So, yeah, Matt and his friend Soup, uh, they play one-on-one basketball, and they play a seven-game series of one-on-one every, I guess, once a week, and they each assign themselves classic basketball players to play as. (laughs) Uh, And it's just such a great, like, personal game that you know is real. And if you Mm -hmm. go online and you watch some of the Moturn extravaganza footage, you see Matt Farley is challenging all oncomers to one-on-one basketball yes. mm-hmm. and i want to go to the fucking east coast and play matt one-on-one yeah i was gonna say because matt, honestly i up. i could take him i like, <laughs> <laughs> he's good i've watched footage uh-huh. yeah. he has post moves he has literal physical strength i could not post him up i mm-hmm. want to post him up i probably could not mm-hmm. i would have to bench like i would have to like lift before i go play him mm-hmm. so i could post him up and like use strength uh, because I don't think my jumper's there, but I think I could like play competitively with him. Oh yeah, uh, I I, uh, I I have this one move when I post up. I kind of like when I turn and go for the basket, the elbow kind of goes into the chest of my opponent. Oh, that's a classic schoolyard yeah, move. Yeah, yeah, it's, but it's like it's discreetly done to where if any refs were nearby, this is a pickup game. Of yeah, course. <laughs> but it, it, it wouldn't be called. See, I do the thing, um, the that classic post move that Dirk Nowitzki step back where he takes like. I guess the foot that's actually closer to the basket since he's at that angle and he turns around and it creates all that space with his other leg. Yeah. Uh, to, you know, you're creating like three feet of space for yourself and I can make it every time when I'm by myself in the gym with no one else in there. <laughs> hey, that's where it starts. Back to local. <laughs> no, I think we should talk more about like with directors, like how you could beat them in basketball. Oh, well, F.W. Murnau was tall as shit. And I think <laughs> if he learned basketball and played for one week, he could hoop on every other director. Yeah. Well, I know one director I couldn't beat in basketball, Master P, who played professionally for the Raptors. <laughs> couple couple days and we will do a master p movie eventually on this extended clip i forgot about his directorial career damn mm-hmm. a local legend here uh master p has been spotted at several valley institutions actually yeah. by friends of mine so be on the lookout he has like <laughs> a i think he literally there's like a there is a dispensary in like canoga park that exclusively sold master p kush <laughs> that's awesome yeah. uh so yeah the one-on-one games are just part of the minutia of his life that he shows. He also shows walking around, listening to the Red Sox games on the radio. And the minutia of that is broken down even further into puffy hands, which is a yeah. uh, a side effect of walking around. You get puffy hands and you have to raise them above your head. Uh, and this is the first instance of something he does a few times in this film where he'll say something over voiceover that seems like a, a bit much like and then he repeats it in dialogue to a character <laughs> just to make sure you get it a second time. It's so good because he says the puffy hands thing in voiceover and you're like, what the fuck is this? Like, yeah. this is the weirdest thing I've ever heard, but it's so funny. It's yeah. just like such a particular digression that mm-hmm. only Matt would go on. And then he gets interrupted by his friend. Hey, did Pedroia hit a home run? <laughs> such a great line for him just holding his hands up. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I, honestly, when I was watching this scene, like I never knew what that phenomenon like what caused that phenomenon my hands to feel heavy so when yeah. i saw that i was like oh shit like farley's giving me some info here. like I'll, I'll do this next time you this know movie i'm is around. full of information it is it is uh yeah so that's just like part of his life and that's where he meets his new love interest is his friend is driving around this girl in the back <laughs> <laughs> just shows up <laughs> i like it it's like he's my chauffeur <laughs> Oh God, such a good line. And that time he knows he's like get it. He's like successful. Five receptors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, he is literally picking up on the pheromones. <laughs> 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 
so he picks up on the vibes and we see some more relationships progress as the movie goes and you see a couple more of these nonfiction digressions. Sorry, to get back to the marketing character. So he introduces this character uh, in a shot reverse shot thing where he's now in this like sports coat or like a suit thing but not a full suit whatever yeah. that look is called uh with slicked back hair yeah and he's it's a real drink- money never sleeps kind of yeah and he's yeah. drinking a coffee milk with a spoon <laughs> in it <laughs> and he's telling matt who wants to just be himself that like look these are the songs that are making money you gotta make the novelty songs mm-hmm. people don't want mo's haven i got stacks of mo haven cds <laughs> uh it's so good and it's this really good like dialogue that he's having with himself where it really is like the struggles that he has to go through where he wants to be an artist who just makes whatever he wants. And, you know, this is also part of his income. He works, you know, wiping the doo-doo asses of old men, but he also works by creating art and like it has to be commercial for him to get by and keep making art for money. Uh, and it's really great. It's like the most frank examination of that I've ever seen because there's so many fucking movies about being a sellout, you know, mm-hmm. and what that implies and if the band's going to sell out or not. And this movie is so frank about using art as an actual job, as a working class person mm-hmm. who lives in a tiny apartment that he describes as a uh, not a ceiling. What's it called? A uh, attic. An attic. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, like. It's a means to an end, you know, mm-hmm. it's part of his means to an end. And it's also the thing he feels the most personal about. So it's mm-hmm. like really hits hard and is also just funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And- I feel like uh, like coming up as like a film boy, you get like big aspirational figures. Like, I mean, obviously for like whoever the fuck, like Steven Spielberg, yeah. like that type of bullshit. Orson Welles. Yeah, Orson Welles. Yeah. You have your like big heroes. But I feel like the more I like go along underground names like uh matt farley and like damon packard like people who are like fucking like living living a real life yeah and then like also making like creative work that's just like a pure like expression of like who they are and their identity i think that's so much more admirable uh than all these other fake ass hoes yeah all these fake ass indie filmmakers yeah looking at you wes anderson (laughs) (laughs) no it's funny in the uh interview i alluded to earlier he does mention i think francis ha as like a negative inspiration for this like he was saying (laughs) like i see all these films about artists and they're bullshit they're not real (laughs) like uh and he wanted to make a film about what it's like for him to be an artist and he fucking did Mm -hmm. it he nailed it on the head as perfect as he could, yeah. honestly. And one of my favorite lines from the scenes where he's talking to himself as the marketing guy is when he says, instead of another monster movie, I was thinking of doing a Woody Allen style movie that speaks to a generation. <laughs> and I think that really encapsulates like the stilted dialogue and the sincerity, but like knowing that it's kind of goofy and like, ah, it's just so good. Mm-hmm. And like Farley's he's, he's self-facing, but like not in a, People can be self-deprecating in like a self-serving way sometimes. Yeah, Woody Allen, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Far- Farley does it in a way that just feels so completely honest. Yeah. and you know, and he another good thing he depicts is people's reaction to his art. Mm-hmm. I, I find really funny. Another, oh, it's great. Another choice line after he shows the fake Billy Joel fan, um, either Freaky Farley or one of his movies. I forgot which. She's like, yeah, that's not like real art, like Blue Valentine. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's probably the most realistic type of response you could ever hear. 
they're just like there's so many realistic things like that like in just like the the mise-en-scene as mm-hmm. well that oh, just yeah. like feel like earnest qualities of real real life people where there's one conversation that Farley's having with a friend of his where I just noticed like on a coffee table there's a Wiimote just dangling <laughs> yeah. off the side and it's just like that's not even like something I'm sure that was like not even particularly conscious but it just yeah. speaks to the quality of like yeah. being a real person mm-hmm. trying to deal with like having creative impulses and speaking to the reactions to the art you know he he does play it kind of therapeutically like a woody allen movie where he's Mm -hmm. like reliving these scenes from his life uh and relitigating and it's kind of like this is what i should have (laughs) said but it's still i don't know that level of realism and sincerity makes it so good still Mm -hmm. uh like the great scene where his aunt and uncle (laughs) think that like or his uncle or something like that second removed whatever i think in the movie he makes a point of like not knowing the exact relation uh mm-hmm. suggest film festivals because that seems like where you want to go from yeah. where you are and <laughs> it's so good because he just says like he thinks that i've made several feature <laughs> films and i don't know that film festivals exist <laughs> i know they exist and i know that they're stupid i know this because i have been rejected by dozens of them <laughs> and that is one of my favorite lines in the picture because I don't know how many fucking independent filmmakers I know just from like being friends with them online or whatever that have made like really impressive shorts. Uh, they, they're not going Farley level making creature features, but like making shorts for no budget that are really fucking good and just getting denied everywhere they go. And it's like, yeah, you drop 200 bucks on festival submissions. You don't get in anywhere. Like, what's the point? You know, mm-hmm. that's a perfect segue for me to shamelessly plug my own short film in true Farley fashion. Uh, True Grit Live is a short film, 15 minutes. Uh, Nico and I made it. Uh, just DM me if you want to see it. I'll send it in your inbox. I'll give you a little password. It's on Vimeo, private link. Film festivals are shitty. I <laughs> We were rejected uh, from our first and uh, expect to see many more rejections, but you can watch yeah. it. Where can they DM you at to find out? <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't want to get ahead of True, myself. Yeah. To, you just say like, he's at, at tall, boy, boy, thin yeah, legs. Yeah, yeah. tall boy, thin legs, all no cap space w- underscore whatever. Yeah. <laughs> that. Uh, and in Farley fashion, I'll take a and in a Mike Jones fashion, too. I'll take this opportunity to plug my phone number. Eight, three, one, one, four, six, seven, two, one, four. Matt Farley drops his phone number in this movie several times and he makes a point of it. And he does it in his other work, too. And you can call him. And if you're a fan of his, you know, give him a ring. Don't bother him too much, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm sure he'll enjoy a nice ring from a fan after you check out one of these flicks. Uh, yeah. Most people are very protective of their personal phone number. I am not one of those people. In fact, that's my number right there on the screen right here. Call me anytime you want. I put the phone number in the credits of all the movies I make, and I even sing it in a lot of my songs. For instance, listen here. The businessman part of my personality loves it when I give out my number in a song. I would say, do what I told JT to do and watch Don't Let the River Beast Get You first. Uh, If you want to, you can just get right into Local Legends, but I think if you watch one of his pure genre works... And then go into the hyper self-reflexivity mm-hmm. of local legends. It'll hit a little harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I say hyper self-reflexivity, I'm like, look, if you're going to like take everything at the same value, this should actually be considered among the art house classics that do the things that this does. Oh, yeah, totally. Like there's no doubt this is, you know, Woody Allen level 
uh, JLG, JLG self-portrait in December level. Uh, it's not Kiristami, but it's, it's, uh, but, it, but I mean, fucking nobody is. Kiristami's literally the goat. So, you know, yeah. uh, but this is like actually some of the most important self-reflexive work because I don't think underground people get to look at themselves, frankly, at this level. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's just, it's so good and so honest with itself, even when Farley's hyping himself up. Mm-hmm. you It's so realistic that he can't get away with gassing himself up. True, yeah. The artifice is right there. You see it. You know it. You see the stacks of DVDs that he has unsold. And I want them. Farley, yeah. send me the DVDs. DM us. We'll send you the we'll send you the address. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not gonna put my address on the podcast. <laughs> but you can call Malcolm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That wasn't my phone number, by the way. It was it? It was No, no. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Just Stop it. winking! At yeah. me. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It literally wasn't. <laughs> anyway, call, call it. You find out that it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> the extended clip challenge of the week. Call that number. Find out if it find was out mine. who it is. Yeah, yeah, find out who it is, or maybe it is mine. I don't know. I'm thinking about dropping mine. I mean, like a mm-hmm. handful of people have the extended clip hotline, which is my cell phone number. Oh yeah. Uh, so no, maybe another time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we love this movie. Yeah, this is it. a four and a half bullet movie for me. Also me. Also me. It made me feel so fucking good the first time I yeah. watched it and even better this time. It gives me hope. Like I told JT earlier, films inspired me for the first like three years that I was watching films every day. They don't anymore. They're yeah. like a necessity kind of like I just kind of <laughs> have to. It's like a yeah. box I have to check. Uh, and they inspire me in like the way I think sometimes, but not to make films. True. That hasn't happened in years. Farley does it. Farley makes me want to fucking actually do shit. So mm-hmm. we love you, buddy. Yeah, we love you, Matt Farley. <laughs> Matt Farley, if you're listening to this, Extended Clip loves you. Extended Clip remembers the underground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's our Matt Farley. That's our Local Legends talk. Uh, thank you very much. This is, is such a long episode, and the real fans are here for it. This is yeah. fans only. Fans only. <laughs> a little bit of fan service, you know? So, yeah, that's that, and let's go to the old mailbag. Why not? Every week, you can reach out to us at extendedclippodcast at gmail.com. This week, our friend Sean reached out to us, and, you know... We've talked about him earlier. Uh, about a month ago, he had a beef with uh, Griffin Newman. Wait, Griffin Newman? Is that that picture of Peter Griffin and <laughs> Newman from Seinfeld having sex with each other that you showed me earlier? Is that what you're referring to? Griffin Newman? <laughs> the subject line says, boo. Jeez. Scared me. Whoa. Scared me. Whoa, whoa, yeah, it's whoa. From, it's from Sean Glynis, and he says, hey, boys. Just want to know what your Spooktember watch lists are looking like. If you don't do that shit, what should be on mine? And if you do any spooky ups, I want to throw in a Jean Roland joint for consideration because I think you guys would have some fun with it. With love, Sean. All right, let me get this straight. <laughs> We're not doing no fucking Hooptober, no Spooktober, no Movember. No, just give me a cup of coffee. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, we, we will be doing no Arvember, right? Uh, uh, uh. Uh, um. Look, you can literally go to any other film media online to get horror stuff in October, so we're not going to do it. True. Although I did last last year I did watch like exclusively horror movies for October. It was fun. So if you're looking for an excuse to do it, I 
hey, I get it. But I maybe, get it too. And yeah. like, I'll probably watch more horror movies than average. I probably average two or three a month. So mm-hmm. I'll probably watch seven yeah. in October. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, it is September. So we're allowed to talk about horror movies for like one more week. <laughs> I think next week is our first October episode. So starting next week, we will not it's talk done. about a single fucking horror yeah. movie on this show for one whole month. Eddie's going to cut it out when we do it. I'm going to yeah. cut. I'm not only going to cut it out. I'm going to punish you if you do. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, more ba- no more bad spins, please. <laughs> <laughs> and if I let it slip, you make me do dizzy bats. <laughs> <laughs> Do, can we do thrillers still? Yeah. Or is that, is that no. a safe territory? No, no. We're, we're doing wholesome <laughs> no. comedies all <laughs> October. No, uh, we'll, we're doing something for October. We're gonna have a guest again. We're gonna do other shit. It's gonna be fun. Watch out for that. Yeah, uh, Jean Brolin looks really cool. Yeah, everyone who watches him uh, that has similar taste to me loves him. So I'll get into it. But we have some recommendations for you since it's still September and we're allowed to talk about horror movies. And yeah. if you choose. <laughs> To watch one of these during October, it's not our. We're not liable. Yeah, and you know what? We're not even. We're not even looking down upon you. It's hey, hey, man, do your thing. Whatever you want, honestly. <laughs> Whatever make you happy. Hey, don't worry, be happy. That's what I always <laughs> yeah, say. Yeah, that's our motto. <laughs> so the first one that I'm gonna re- we're we're each gonna recommend two. Is that okay with you guys? Does that sound good? I can control myself. All right. Yeah. I'll you- go first, and we will go counterclockwise, and we will go in rotation. Okay. Just like All we're right. smoking that kush. <laughs> Counterclockwise? Which way is that? <laughs> okay. Eddie showed me. <laughs> I did a gesture. I'm basically an actor. Night of the Creeps is the first one that I'm going to recommend. This is a 1986, uh, a, a nice little zombie action type movie from Fred Decker. You may know, Fr- and it's not Decker versus Dracula. Uh, <laughs> Fred Decker uh, worked on some classic horror movies. Uh, and he did the Monster Squad, and he did one of the RoboCop sequels. But Night of the Creeps is a really great movie that opens with some 50s Ed Wood-style homage. Uh, you know, classic, like, monster 50s Atomic Age stuff in black and white. And then it cuts to the present day, which is 1986. And it has a lot of what people on, like, online fanzines and, like, 2004 forums that used to follow Harry Knowles would call epic Tom Atkins ownage. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, look, I can't deny the pleasures of Tom Atkins shooting people and delivering one-liners. It's fucking sick. Like, it's so stupid, but it's really good. And, you know, you get a nice little Dick Miller cameo in there. And it's a really good movie. So, uh, Night of the Creeps. All right. I'm going to go with The Last House on Dead End Street. Ooh, this one's dirty. This one's dirty, and it's a personal favorite of mine. I love this movie so much. And it's maybe you know maybe similar to maybe certain qualities with the filmmakers we've just m- mentioned. That it's a little bit rough around the edges. And this one, uh, I feel bad to even... This one's almost not inept, but it definitely... Uh, it doesn't even try to build suspense, really. It's... Uh, the plot is, after being released from prison, a young gangster with a chip on his shoulder decides to punish society by making snuff films. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's pure... This is... If I were to pick a movie that's just filled with unbridled rage, this is the most angry movie I've ever seen. It's... Uh, <laughs> it's He's... When he's... When this young gangster... When they say this young gangster has a chip on his shoulder, it's it's a big fucking chip. Um, it's like one of those big clusters in the like at the top of the bag of chips. Exactly, of like five chips together. Exactly, we got a mega chip. That's here. my favorite. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's uh, directed and uh, acted by Roger Watkins, who uh, 
who was obviously pissed off while making this and uh <laughs> <laughs> i think was a meth addict i think uh, or something fuck. like that um it's fucking sick you gotta you gotta check this shit out um okay my first flick uh of the horror variety is a uh, peeping Tom 1960 by Michael Powell, one oh, half yeah. of the archers. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is another, a dirty personal fave that's uh, related to like the snuff variety. Um, it's about uh, the main character is Mark Lewis. Who's like a photographer um, who is like taking pictures of women and then also like stabbing them with like uh, like a hidden switch in the tripod that like makes it like a knife and it's like very like pre like psycho vibes um same year as psycho right 1960 yeah yeah same year um but it also has a lot of the very de palma-esque like voyeurism uh, with the camera it's that good shit very horny very creepy oh yeah you love to see it i saw a print of that or not a print sorry i saw a dcp of that but I will say that it's one of the few times that at DCP, I was like, holy shit, man, they did a good job because I don't know, man, the archers, like their color work just looks so mm-hmm. incredible. Like I saw a nitrate print of Black Narcissus and uh, I hate to say it, not a huge fan of Black Narcissus. Damn, I like damn. it. Though. I like it. I know. That's like my Love hot you. take. It's like I like every, <laughs> <laughs> not every archers I've seen has been fucking fire other than that one. Uh, but what about also that one? Because it's good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I was just zoned out. I was just mm-hmm. not in the right mood. Yeah. Because uh, it all looked fucking cool. I just couldn't yeah. get into it. But Peeping Tom, the colors in that just look incredible. Like, unlike anything I've ever seen, honestly, uh, especially for that time period. I don't know what was going on with the film stock in London <laughs> in the 60s, but it looks fucking ridiculous. Uh, that might have to do with the digital restoration. Other one I wanted to recommend, Vampiros Lesbos. Now, Ooh. if you don't know about Jess Franco, Jesus Franco, mid some sexy pictures <laughs> oh oh <mama>. i'm listening <laughs> you may even say pornographic as whoa the, as the italians say <laughs> he's Can a we, real fucking italian guy you know? <laughs> I mean, he's a from classic Spain, man um yeah, you know yeah i'm pretty sure this movie's italian i'm not gonna look it up uh he produced <laughs> movies all over europe you know he has some spanish ones some italian ones etc etc uh, Jesus Franco has made so many films, countless films. He's like the Godard of sleaze. Uh, he makes a lot of sexploitation horror movies. That's like his main ga- his main bag. It's like Matt Farley making straight-faced comedies disguised as horror movies. He makes art horror movies describe, disguised as pornography movies. Uh, and the pornography he also really likes doing, clearly. And he's very good at it. I gotta say, quite erotic. Uh, mm. Vampiros Lesbos is a movie, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's ladies okay. that are vampires, and they only feast on the blood of other ladies. And um, there's a lot of nudity, and it's a very lavish film. It is just front to back, just fucking covered in lens flares, manic zooms and pans and you know that grainy 70s exploitation film stock that just adds this texture to everything and there's one set piece that it returns to throughout the movie where uh uh, the central vampiros lesbo couple if you will uh are performing on stage and it's this black backdrop and there's a mirror on the set it's a really sparse set and uh really the main couple of the movie a man and a woman are watching this show but you're so transfixed you're so into their perspective you're just in a trance from this fucking performance of this whatever um burlesque type show uh 
uh, and it's really beautiful. And Jess Franco knows what he's doing. And the music is also incredible. And uh, yeah, don't watch this one if you think uh, the folks are going to come home. <laughs> for, for our young listeners. Yeah, for our young listeners. This one, at least PG-13. Yeah. <laughs> at the very <laughs> least. 18 plus, if yeah. you ask me. Yeah, well, you, maybe you should watch this with your mom so she can have a very responsible conversation with you about what is sexually appropriate and what yeah. isn't. <laughs> but um, yeah, so all the Jess Franco stuff, it's like very... I guess you could say non-literary, to borrow a term like, I remember Felipe Furtado, the great uh, Brazilian film writer, uh, put on Twitter something like uh, a couple weeks ago when uh, someone, who I will go unnamed, uh, was bashing the entirety of Italian cinema, just like a joke, which is like, I get being racist to Italians, but like, (laughs) they made good movies. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just because they don't have sound sync and their movies aren't as literary as American films, you know? Just Franco hits that same kind of note that I see in a lot of Italian cinema where it's not literary and you're not following it the way you would uh, follow a written story. It's really just about the sensory overload and using film form to express as much as you possibly can in these feelings of just pure like lust and eroticism and like. Yeah, it's just incredible. And at the end of the day, isn't that what you want from a movie? Don't you... You don't want it to be literary. Why don't you save that for a goddamn book? Yeah. Yeah, you want it to be horny. Haven't you ever yeah. read Laura Mulvey, Visual Pleasure? <laughs> yeah. Cinema's about being horny, baby. <laughs> I want to be the guy who <laughs> Get misreads that book shit that. out of yeah. here. Yeah. I want to be the guy who misreads like feminist film theory. Just, mm-hmm. just like, look, they're telling the truth. Films about boobies. Yeah. <laughs> I agree that they should show the pussy. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, man. Films about gazing at women. <laughs> there needs to be more female lesbian gay. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. You could make the case that this film is like straight up just like exploit exploitative male gaze uh, look at lesbianism, and it probably is. But like I've seen a lot of lesbians say that it's a great movie, so fuck you. Yeah, I got lesbian friends. We know lesbians. What about you, Malcolm? <laughs> Uh, well, you know, it seems like I got society on my mind as of recently. (laughs) Joker's coming out. The last movie I mentioned, I said the word society. What movie should I suggest but the movie Society, Society. directed by Brian Yunza. 1987? Nine. Uh, I have it downloaded. I haven't watched it. Well, Eddie, maybe you should give it a watch because it's pretty great. Um, I, I, I think a lot of people are open to the idea of like an incestuous type of upper class, you know, uh, an upper class that does, you know, dirty things and groups and stuff like that. It's been in the news. It's been depicted in movies ever since. <laughs> Eyes wide shut. You about this guy, Jeffrey Epstein? <laughs> it's Epstein-esque. And, uh, uh, Epsteinian. Epstein. <laughs> yeah, this, this follows the Epsteinian tradition. Um, <laughs> and it's, you know, it, it, it has that... Um, I don't even remember what mostly happens to it, but I, I just remember it does have a strong critique of the upper class where it's kind of like um, People Under the Stairs, another movie I recommend. Sorry if you're doing three. But uh, where the critique is super obvious and like very readable, but it just has so much fun with it that you have to enjoy it. And um, I the practical effects, you know, a lot of debauchery to be had if you're into that. And um, I don't want to do, you know, extended clip shoots from the hip. We don't believe in spoilers. <laughs> so I'll just I will say that our hero has to anally fist his opponent to defeat him. <laughs> well, damn, I'm watching it. Yeah, you got me. Um, my recommendation. 
uh, in another like Matt Farley vein, I think I mentioned him in talking about Farley is uh, Damon Packard's Reflection of Reflections of Evil, two thousand two. Um, ever since I saw Night Pulse, I've been a big uh, Packard head, and it's kind of hard to describe what happens in his films, other than they're just sort of like a weird pop cultural pastiche that's like very angry and visceral and like a lot of the same like uh stylistic stuff that is like unhinged or not like reformed like what you were describing as uh the angriest film you've ever seen this reflections of evil is probably the angriest film i've ever seen because packard Uh, is in it and he's like roaming the streets of LA just sort of screaming and like digging through garbage and eating and there's so much like consumption and excess Packard's LA is like a disgusting place uh, full of vice and excess and uh, it's definitely worth checking out so uh, watch Reflections of Evil as always you can reach out to us Uh, on Twitter I am at iPod underscore video I'm at at bitchface palace I'm tall boy, thin legs. And we're all on Letterboxd and they're on Instagram and you know the deal. <laughs> Look, we, yeah. went, we went real long this week, yeah. so um, I hope you fucking liked it, you little piggies. Yeah, follow us on IG. We're not dropping the handles. <laughs> Mine's the same. Mine's not. Uh, you'll never find me. Mr. Ron Howard, you've got a lovely daughter. She was great in the village. She was great in the lady in the water. And I was thinking that maybe, just maybe, you oughta Grant me permission to go on a date with your daughter